Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall face, sorry, the upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Barb. There you go. That's what we're looking for. Um, so we have transitioned now out of the book of Daniel. And we just spent 10 weeks in. And for the next 10 weeks, we are going to be in the book of Psalms together. Um, woo, right? Boy, you guys are tough. Um, I hope you read a lot in the Psalms already. There is hard, I don't know of a more comforting, encouraging book in the Bible. John Calvin called it an anatomy of every part of the soul. There's, there's not an experience that we could have, an emotion we could experience as human beings struggling with all the things that we face in life that we will not find uh, in the Psalms somewhere. And the wonderful thing is the psalmist always connects our hope back to the Lord. So the next 10 weeks over the summer, we're in the Psalms. And uh, I hope that you will pray for us and that we will meet the Lord together as we go through this wonderful book. Um, this morning, as you've heard, we're, we're in Psalm 11. And uh, before we jump in and look at that text more closely, I would invite you to please pray with me. Bow your heads and hearts with me. Lord, whom have we in heaven but you? And there's nothing that our hearts desire on this earth besides you. Our, our flesh and our hearts are weak. They may fail us, but you truly are the strength of our heart and our portion forever and ever. So, Lord, I pray that you would be a rich portion for your people this morning as we look at this wonderful psalm of David together. Minister to our hearts as we behold your glory in the face of Jesus Christ this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Where do you turn uh, when you're feeling threatened? When, when you sense that there's some danger, where do you go? Where do you go for, for safety? Years ago, uh, when I was growing up in Vancouver in the 1970s, yes, um, um, <laughs> my teachers and my mom told me about block parents. Do you remember block parents? And... Uh, they told me that if I look 
for that little red and white sticker in the window of a block parent house. And if I ever feel threatened or in danger in any way, I should see that sticker, run up to that house and knock on the door and I would find refuge there. I would find safety there. Good information. And then there was that day in grade six. That day in grade six when I was walking home after school and there was those two or three big guys that were threatening to beat me up. Now, to be honest here, I may have said something stupid to them. But these two or three big guys uh, were threatening to punch me out after school. And I remembered block parents. So I saw that, uh, that sign, that sticker in the window, and I ran. I really ran. These guys were big. I felt very threatened. And I ran up to that door, and I knocked on the door frantically. And this wonderful lady came to the door, opened it up, and I just ran right in. No word of a lie. I, I felt safe. I felt safe. Well, this morning in Psalm 11, we are going to look together at where we can go when we sense danger, when we feel threatened. And David wants us to know that we need to find our refuge, our, our place of safety in the Lord. The Lord is our safe space. And David's going to give us reasons this morning why we should seek and find our refuge in the Lord alone. So as we look at Psalm 11 this morning, I have three points. The first point is about taking a stand. My second point is about discerning the danger. And then my third point is about knowing the truth. Let me give those to you again if you're taking notes. My first point is about taking a stand. My second point is about how we need to discern the danger properly. And my third point is about knowing the truth, specifically knowing the truth about the Lord. So let's jump in and begin with taking a stand. If you look at the first verse, the, the first part of the first verse of Psalm 11, here's what David is doing. He's nailing his colors to the mast. He's taking a stand. He's firmly planting his feet. He's not moving because he is announcing... Look at the first part of verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. He's taking a stand right here. David isn't analyzing his options. David isn't trying to calculate the probabilities of survival. David knows, David knew that the Lord alone is his refuge. The Lord alone is David's only source of help and protection and hope. That's what Psalm 11 is all about. And this is not just a, a theme in Psalm 11. This is a massive theme throughout all the Bible. This is a big theme, taking refuge in the Lord. In fact, I would say this. Taking refuge in the Lord is just another way of talking about having faith in the Lord. 
Just another way of talking about faith. And so if you look, for example, at what David says in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 to 4, look at how David describes the Lord here. Tanner read uh, a version of this in Psalm 18 earlier on. 2 Samuel 22 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my rock, my God in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from all of my enemies. Over 40 times, just in the book of Psalms, the Lord is the believer's refuge. Big theme, big theme in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 5, verse 11, we read, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. See, this morning, taking refuge in the Lord is something that we need to celebrate and sing about. Taking refuge in the Lord ought to well up in our hearts and give us reason to praise that He is our refuge, that our lives are hidden safely in Him. This is also something we should pray about. Look at Psalm 16, verse 1. The psalmist prays, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is such a great theme. This, is, this I hope this morning, as I've been praying this morning, that this wouldn't just be me up here teaching, that the Spirit of God would be moving among us right now this morning and ministering the good news that the Lord is your refuge to your heart, that this morning there would be this welling sense that this is precious to you. That's my prayer this morning that this would be a precious truth. Back in the spring of 2000, um, my mother was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer and the doctor gave her less than six months to live. And that shook her, obviously. That shook her deeply. That shook her profoundly when the doctor looked at her and told her there was no hope. Get things in order. You have less than six months. And that shook her so much that she began to look at her life. She began to consider the life that she had lived in light of the death that she now faced. By the grace of God, after that diagnosis, my mother gave her life to the Lord. She came to Christ. She put her hope in Jesus Christ. And from that point on, I remember when she told me that day that she was hoping in the Lord. From that point on, there was a marked difference in her life. She was a different person. The the, the fear and the anxiety gave away to 
a real sense of hope and peace, even joy. It was remarkable. In fact, my own non-Christian brother at my mother's memorial service said in the eulogy, the last four months of mom's life were the best four months of mom's life. And my my mom had lived a pretty good life. But everybody, even my unbelieving brother, noticed a marked difference in her life. I tell you about my mom this morning because because on the night that she died, I was with her in the palliative care ward at Vancouver General Hospital reading her the Psalms. I was reading from this glorious book. And as I read to her through the Psalms, her breathing became more shallow and more labored. And I went on through many Psalms until finally she drew her last breath. And the last words she heard, the words that accompanied my mother into eternity were the words of Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. This is every believer's hope. This isn't for super spiritual Christians. This is for every Christian. This is for every believer. And I need to press in with you this morning to ask, do you know that this is your hope? Do you know that your life is hidden with Christ in God and that He is your refuge, your ever-present help in any time of trouble whatsoever? This is important. Have we tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord in Christ? Do we confidently say with with David, in the Lord I take refuge. That's where I'm going to take my stand. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to equivocate. This is where I'm going to stand. What are you standing on? What are you taking refuge in? Where do you go? Where do you turn when life throws you a curveball and things get weird? That brings us to our second point, discerning the danger. We need to be able to discern the danger to see it for what it really is. Because when we take our stand, when we take our refuge in the Lord, I think what we're able to do is see things a lot more clearly. We can tell what's really going on, not what the news is reporting. Fake news isn't a new thing. Look what David says in verse 1. I love this. How can you say to my soul? He had a little bit of attitude when he said this. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? See, King David, like all kings, they're surrounded by counselors and advisors, people they they listen to, people they count on, right, to give them wise advice. 
And these guys, when trouble comes along, these guys are telling David to flee. Instead of encouraging him, instead of advising him to take refuge in the Lord, their counsel to King David is to run and hide. There's a lot of different ways we can run and hide, aren't there? I think some of, that's, that's kind of our national sport, right? We run and we hide from problems and issues. How do you run and hide? You know? I'll tell you how my dad ran and hid. My dad ran and hid by being a workaholic. My dad worked probably 70 hours a week, 60 to 70 hours a week. He'd always just go off back to the office. I loved my father, but I would have liked to have spent more time with him. How do we run and hide? Do we distract ourselves with more work? Perhaps some of us go off shopping. Perhaps some of us go to the mall to avoid our problems, and if we can just buy some more stuff, we kind of insulate ourselves. We surround ourselves with more stuff, more shiny things, more things that plug into the wall. We'll be less troubled by our problems. Perhaps some of us try to avoid trouble just by destructive habits drinking drugs sex not that all sex is bad that's a different sermon (laughs) yeah listen to the sex god's sex in the church series a few months ago here's what i find some people do some people get in a difficult situation with another person and they just call it off they end it they shut the door The other person is cast into the outer darkness. They're just written off. They don't want to face the challenges that might come through working out a difficulty with another human being. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps if things get desperate enough, some people will even move to a a different place and kind of try to start their lives anew. I think what I'm saying in all of this is we, we kind of all have that flee, uh, or, you know, tendency, don't we? We don't want to face things. We, tw- we want to run away from them. And that's what David's counselors were saying. David hears the advice, flee. And I love his response. This should be our response. How can you tell me that? How can you say that to me? How can you tell me to run? Don't you know that the Lord is my refuge? How can you ignore the Lord in your thinking and your counsel? Because that's exactly what they're doing. David's counselors, I don't know, maybe for statement to, to, to David's counselors, and, and I see this to me, for many people, statements like, I'm taking my refuge in the Lord, or I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, those don't weigh very much. They don't seem very practical. Maybe they sound like spiritual bumper stickers. You know, and and they're not for real life. No, 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 no. David has taken his stand. We need to take our stand in the Lord in whom we have taken refuge. These aren't just pious slogans. Our life is found here. 
Even counselors are functional atheists in that moment. The reality of God isn't factoring into their counsel to David. Now, I think that these people, these guys, probably thought they were being helpful, right? They wanted David to be safe. They thought they were being helpful, but they weren't. Thank you for playing. They weren't being helpful. And I think there's an important point to make here, and I want to say this clearly. Because helpful advice, helpful advice that ignores the Lord is not helpful. You can have all the good intentions, but if you fail to communicate the wisdom of God's word rooted in the good news about Jesus Christ, you'll do more harm than good. Too much time in pastoral ministry is spent trying to extricate people out of the problems and help them think their way out of the problems created by other people who gave them helpful counsel that ignored the Lord. Don't listen. When they start talking, if they're not talking about your hope in Jesus, go like this. La, 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 la. Don't listen. It's not helpful. It's harmful. Now take a look at verse 2. These guys don't just tell David to flee. They give him reasons to run. Look at verse 2. For, they say, Behold, don't you see the wicked bend their bow? They fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. It sounds really dangerous. Maybe it is. But here's what I want us to see, that when the Lord isn't in our picture and He isn't in our thinking problems take on a much more sinister complexion. Threats, they may be real threats. I'm sure there's real problems going on here. But when we leave the Lord out of our thinking, threats become much more threatening. Here, the wicked are described like assassins who are waiting in the shadows, ready to kind of bring destruction upon the upright in heart. Interesting metaphor. But clearly, the problem here is that sinister, wicked people seem to kind of have the upper hand. You know, there's violence and mayhem and corruption and greed and lies. These are everywhere. Sounds a bit to me like, if you remember in the book of Judges, it's uh, Joshua Judges. Try, try that out. It's an interesting book. It's kind of, comes with a PG rating, seriously. Um, during the time of the judges, it was, it was mayhem. It was, it was anarchy. It was, it was chaos. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Ter- terrible time for Israel. Kind of reminds me of what these guys are saying to David. The Lord seems to have left the building. You know, or you might think of a, of a modern failed state today. A place like Somalia. I don't recommend traveling there. Well, you guys are tough this morning. You know, there's just, there's just mayhem everywhere. Now, apparently these guys that were advising David thought that things were utterly hopeless. Look at what they say in verse 3. Look at what they ask. If the foundations are destroyed, that's their assessment of the situation. If the foundations are destroyed, well, what can the righteous do? 
What else can you do? You've got to run, David. There's no more foundations on your feet. It's all broken up. It's all destroyed. Everything's wrecked and ruined. You've got to run. Run to the hills for safety. It's the only option they see. Why? Because they're only focused on the problems. That's all they can see. These guys are so focused on the problems, they go into chicken little mode. The sky is falling. The foundations are destroyed. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. You know, I'm sure there are problems here. There's problems everywhere. If you just, you know, just just unload your New York Times app and and read the, the headlines, there's lots of problems. But is that all we can see? Where's the Lord in the picture when you read the terrible headlines every day? Is the Lord in that picture? Because it certainly isn't from the reporting of the Times or the Globe and Mail or, I don't know, anywhere you get your news feed. Boy, that really dated myself, didn't it? It's named newspapers. Does anyone read them anymore? If we only look at the problems, we will lose all perspective. We'll lose all perspective. We'll be tempted to panic. We'll be tempted to freak out. We'll be tempted to overreact. And if all you can see is the problem, here's what's going to happen. You're going to dig a big, deep hole in your backyard, turn it into a bunker, and become a doomsday prepper. That's what's going to happen if all you can see is the problems. Commenting on verse 3, Gerald Wilson describes the situation by saying this. The counsel to flee concludes with a pessimistic rhetorical question that all but admits defeat. The situation of uncontrolled violence is so dismal that the pessimistic advisors understand that the very foundations of society have been laid in ruins. There is nothing left to rely on and no course of action left in the circumstances but to flee for one's life. Is that a realistic assessment? I don't even think that's a realistic assessment if you live in Somalia. I know people that have done great work for the kingdom of God in Somalia in the midst of the worst part of that terrible civil war that has taken tens of thousands of lives. People who found their refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ and went into the middle of that mess and ministered to people who needed help. You see, if we are not taking refuge in the Lord, we will never take a risk in life. It will be all about insulating ourselves so that we're safe and protected. We might as well just wrap ourselves in bubble wrap. Boy, you guys are hard this morning. That was funny. So what does David do? Because David isn't buying any of this. David discerns the danger very differently than his advisors do, doesn't he? Why? Because he's taken refuge in the Lord. David looks at the situation in a completely different way because the Lord is in the picture. 
He's not overwhelmed by the problems. There's real problems there, no doubt. But he's not overwhelmed by it. So what does he do? Well, that leads us to the third point. Knowing the truth. You see, if we're not going to become doomsday preppers, Clinton and Zahn would be in trouble because they live in an apartment. They can't dig that, you know, bunker. It's okay, you guys can come over to our place. (laughs) But if we're not going to kind of be alarmist, if we're not going to freak out and panic, what are we going to do? Well, we've got to know the truth. And, and, and here David recalls five great truths about the Lord. I'll go through them quickly. This isn't a three-hour message. Five great truths about the Lord that you and I need to know if we're not going to freak out. If we're not going to panic. When it, when it feels like the foundations of your life are, are being destroyed when it feels like there's nothing but upheaval in your life, this is where we need to turn to these five truths. Taking refuge in the Lord is taking refuge in the truth about the Lord. Don't wrap yourself in bubble wrap. Wrap yourself in the truth about who the Lord is in whom you've taken refuge. Five things. First one in verse four. This is such good news. The Lord reigns over all. Look at what it says. The Lord, the foundations here are being destroyed, but the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. This is a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul this morning. Because if this were not true, there'd be no foundations at all. Here's what I would say. If the Lord does not reign over all things, then chaos is king. That's true. If the Lord is not reigning over all things, then chaos really is king in the world. Look at, look at the picture here. The Lord is sitting. He's not freaking out. He's not pacing anxiously. I don't know what to do with these people. That's not what he's doing. The Lord is sitting enthroned. The Lord is in control. And the Lord is unshaken. He's unshaken by all the mayhem. And that is as true today in Vancouver or Mogadishu as it was in the day of David. This is a truth that we need to to take our refuge in. The Lord reigns over everything. Quite frankly, I'm not sure that I could put my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep if I didn't believe that the Lord reigns over everything. If I believe that somehow my life and the life of my wife and my children and my friends and if all of your lives, if somehow all of our lives were dependent upon chance, fate, good luck, well, good luck, I'd be a basket case. I really would. I'd freak out. I'd become a doomsday prepper. I'm going to work that one, probably one more time before the end of the message. 
But notice here that the Lord doesn't reign in in a way that's distant and detached, that's unconcerned. He sees what's going on. He sees everything. He knows about all the problems going on in the world, the big ones as well as the small ones. So right now the Lord is reigning and he knows about refugees and terrorism and the environment, that article you read this week that made you feel like the end is coming. He knows about North Korea and China and Iran. He knows about racism. He knows about corruption. He knows about domestic abuse. He even knows about your boss, your family, your own health. He knows. He sees. Hebrews 14.3 says that no creature is hidden from his sight. Nothing. There's nowhere we can go to escape the gracious gaze of God. That's the first truth. The second truth is that the Lord tests the righteous. Look at verse 5, the first part of verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous. Now, at this point, I need to just be clear that the righteous are not the self-righteous. This is important because throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, righteousness, the righteous are those people who have been declared righteous or counted righteous or credited with righteousness by God through faith. That's the truth about Abraham in Genesis 15, and that's all the way through. The righteous are only those who have been counted righteous by God through faith. It's a gift that he gives us. It's not a status that we have to earn in order to be good enough. That's important. So here in verse 5, we learn that We learn that the Lord is working through. This is important. The Lord works through problems. He works through trials. He works through troubles. What's he doing when troubles come on us? When there's a a, a left, you know, a, a ball out of left field at us. What's he doing? He's testing us. Why is he testing us? Because we need testing. He's testing us because he's refining our faith. 1 Peter 1 says that various trials work in our lives to refine and purify our faith. Because my faith and your faith, it's a mixture. It's a mixture of belief and unbelief. Our talk is always a lot better than our walk. Hope I'm not just surprising someone. But we always talk a better game than we play, right? And the Lord wants that gap to close. He wants us to to be refined, to be purified, to be tested so that our faith and our life are closer together. And trials is one of the main ways that he does that. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we trusting in? We're trusting in our money, our good reputation. We're trusting in our job, our health. Perhaps many of us, I find, trust in the, the plans and the dreams that we have for our future. 
Basically, it all comes down to trusting in ourselves, doesn't it? And that's, that's, not, a, that's not reliable. You don't want to r- take refuge in yourself. That's not going to work. So the Lord tries us. He brings tests and trials through, through difficulties in order to refine our faith so that we might transfer our trust to him because he alone is the only one who can provide the refuge that we need. Third point. Verses 5 and 6, it says that the Lord will judge the wicked. The Lord tests the righteous, yes, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. It's a happy verse. Despite appearances, my friends, wickedness will never prevail. The the days of wickedness are numbered. And the Lord will return, not to bear sin, but to judge sin. The Lord will return to put all his enemies under his feet. So the Lord will reign in justice. And as, as Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. The Lord will settle all accounts. No one is going to get away with wickedness and evil. But let me suggest that in this teaching about the just judgment of God, we need to ask ourselves a question. This isn't only for those really bad people that are in our minds, Hitler and Mussolini and a few, you know, Stalin. And, you know, we've got that list of eight or ten names, maybe Pol Pot's on the list. And that's not just for those people. We need to ask ourselves this morning, am I on that list? Will I escape the judgment of God's just wrath that's a question we need to ask ourselves not according to the bible according to the bible things are are, do not look good for people romans 310 says that there is none righteous no not one romans 323 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.3, Paul says that by nature we are all children of wrath. God's righteous wrath. His just judgment upon sin. All of us by nature. Why? Because he says we're dead in our transgressions and sins. So God's diagnosis upon the human condition. Remember, he sees everything. It isn't good. <laughs> Remember back in Genesis 6 when God looked upon the world before he brought the flood and it said that every intention of their hearts was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked. It's not good. This is not a good diagnosis. It's a little bit like by knowing who you are apart from Christ, it's a little bit like being diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And I mean that. I really do. There's no more serious situation that you could ever face than to find yourself outside the refuge that Jesus Christ alone provides. Some people, I say this with a lot of prayer this morning, Some who come 
week in and week out to church don't know the refuge that is found in Jesus Christ. They're living outside of it. And that means they're subject to the just judgment of God's righteous wrath. That's a warning. It's a warning that I I pray that you would heed this morning because we are not left to the judgment of God. We do not have to face the just judgment of God upon our sins. Where can we go? What can we do? The gospel is God calling us to take refuge in Him, in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became sin for us. He bore the just judgment of God in our place, condemned on the cross, crucified. That's why every week we talk about Jesus. That is our only hope. When we come to Him, when we trust Jesus Christ, we are hidden in Him, we find refuge in Him, and the wrath of God is removed forever. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is what you are wasting your time looking for refuge anywhere else but in Him. Let me finish with a final truth. I love this. I know I had said five, but I'm only giving you four. <laughs> the Lord is leading us into his presence. Look at the last part of verse seven. Earl, the last part of verse seven, the last slide there. The upright shall behold his face. This is our hope, friends. If we're in Christ, if our refuge is in the Lord, this is our hope. All of those who found their refuge in the Lord will see him face to face. That idea of face means to be in the very presence of. You and I were made for one thing, to be in the presence of the majestic, magnificent, glorious, stupendous God who made us in His image so that that we would reflect Him and He would delight in us. That's what we're made for. And, and, And David looks forward to seeing the face of God. He looks forward to what we now begin to see dimly. Because in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4 says that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ by faith. That the Holy Spirit has awakened our hearts to see. But that's not it. See, even David and and we now through faith in Jesus are looking forward to the great day, the final day, at the end of all things. When Revelation 22 says, 4 says, that there be no more curse in the world. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it and His servants will worship Him and they will see His face. Whom have we in heaven but Him? There's nothing on earth that we desire besides Him. Our flesh and our hearts are are weak. They're going to fail us. But He is the strength of our heart. He is the strength of your heart this morning. And He is your portion forever. Why? 
Because in Christ you have a refuge. You have a place to stand. Don't flee. Don't run. Don't try and avoid. Go to Him. Bring all of your troubles to Him. Bring all of your sin to Him. He will receive you. I promise. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we bless your name this morning because you have given us your own beloved Son. Not to judge us in wrath because He is just and righteous. No. That's not what he came into the world to do. He came into the world to take our sin, to bear our judgment in his body on the tree so that we might be dead to sin, that we might turn from sin, that we might be free from sin, and that we might live into that righteousness that reflects your glorious character and goodness. Help us live into that good news, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.